and welcome to the podcast for Mid-City Vineyard Church. My name is Brian Johnson. And this week when we recorded our audio teaching at Mid-City Vineyard, uh, the audio equipment actually was not working. So we didn't get a live capture audio. And so today I'm going to actually do this a little bit more podcast style as opposed to uh, pretending like I'm teaching in front of a crowd because I'm not. Instead, I'm sitting in the comfort of my home and there are children running around and there might be dogs barking in the background and all kinds of good things like that. Uh, but that's cool. We're going to do it this way anyway. So this week, we actually kicked off a brand new series entitled Breathing Underwater, which is uh, a series that we're basing off of a book by the same title by Richard Rohr, Breathing Underwater, Spirituality, and the Twelve Steps. And so I thought that uh, there was this uh, poem by Carol Billick that Rohr uh, presents in his introduction. The poem is called Breathing Underwater. And I'd like to read that and then we'll kind of move into uh, some of the scriptures and just kind of see what kind of things there are to, uh, to unpack and talk about as we start this new series. Billick writes, I built my house by the sea, not on the sands, mind you, not on the shifting sand, and I built it of rock, a strong house by a strong sea, and we got well acquainted, the sea and I, good neighbors, not that we spoke much, we met in silences, respectful, keeping our distance but looking our thoughts across the fence of sand. Always the fence of sand, our barrier. Always the sand between. And then one day, and I still don't know how it happened, the sea came without warning, without welcome even. Not sudden and swift, but a shifting across the sand like wine. Less like the flow of water than the flow of blood. Slow, but coming. Slow, but flowing like an open wound. And I thought of flight, and I thought of drowning, and I thought of death. And while I thought, the sea crept higher till it reached my door. And I knew then there was neither flight, nor death, nor drowning. That when the sea comes calling, you stop being neighbors. Well acquainted, friendly at a distance, neighbors. And you give your house for a coral castle. And you learn to breathe under water. <laughs> I love this poem. This idea, this, this, this knowing that at some point the sea always rises. And much like life always comes at us. And so in this series, I'm hoping that we can move in a way of learning and thinking and processing and growing. Uh, how, what would it look like to learn to breathe underwater? When the waters rise, when life comes at us, what would it look like to be so grounded, to be one who has grown up in faith, to be one who has a strong spirituality about them that we can actually not not flee 
Not die, not drown, but breathe, survive, flourish, thrive, even in the midst. <laughs> the Apostle Paul talks a lot about growing up in Christ. In Colossians 1.28, the Apostle Paul says, We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring every person to maturity. In Ephesians 4, the same guy, St. Paul, says Christ gave apostles and pastors and teachers and others to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and we become mature to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Jesus said, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. So, we talk about this a lot around uh, Mid-City Vineyard. But the human life, is a beautiful gift. It's a wonderful thing. Human creation. We come with this, this, we're born with this inherent value. Oh, 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 yes. So I don't know if any of you saw uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, the documentary Won't You Be My Neighbor. Well, what an incredible documentary. So good, just as, as Fred Rogers and his life was given to helping people understand you have value. It has nothing to do with what you do for a job. It has nothing to do with who you marry or 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 uh, your your the way you identify yourself sexually or or any of the like. You as a person, because you're a person, you have value. In the book of uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter in Second Peter actually says, you know, you have been invited to participate in the divine nature. Divine nature. I mean, that's how much value there is that the, the divine wants us to practice and participate in the divine's nature. But as I've been thinking and growing and learning and preaching and for, for many years now, I to get there, to reach the purpose, one has to do actually a couple of things. So yeah, I think there's some <laughs> works, works are involved. Works. One has to listen to the words of the teacher. One has to follow the ways of the teacher. One has to actually grow in maturity and grow up. We're going to bounce back and forth over the course of this series between... Uh, life as a follower of Jesus and life in the program Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I think that, like Roar, there are many similarities here, things that we can glean. You know, in the, in the uh, program Alcoholics Anonymous, people go to the program for a couple of reasons. Maybe someone in their family has recognized a problem that they might have with alcohol and said, hey, come to a meeting with me. I'll, I'll go to a meeting with you. Or maybe Maybe uh, the, the court ordered that they show up at Alcoholic Anonymous meetings. Or maybe they showed up because they recognized 
that they had a problem. But whatever reason someone walks through the door the very first time, their goal is singular. Their goal is to get sober. But anyone who has been in the program for any amount of time knows that when you show up and you say, Hi, my name is Brian and I am an alcoholic and this is maybe your first or maybe your second meeting. Those who are there know, oh, this person is here because they think that we're just trying to get sober, but the true alcoholic who is in recovery, who has worked the steps, who has, who has done the hard work, they have realized that this is more than just sobriety. This is about getting my life back. Years ago, scientists studied alcoholism and they came to actually realize correctly that alcoholism is not just an addiction, but it is actually a disease. And it's not cured. You're not cured of the disease, but you do learn, you, you do learn ways to combat the disease, to recognize, to grow in maturity. And so, in the Christian faith, I think we've done a disservice by categorizing sin as something that is culpable or punishable or something that simply makes the divine unhappy or angry. But what if we took an approach, and I think biblically speaking we could make a case for this, but what if we took an approach of seeing sin more as a disease? Sin has also been called uh, or, or, or um, described as the disruption of shalom, that which disrupts connection between you and yourself, you and others, you and the divine, you and creation. One theologian says that sin could be described as the destructive ways in which we handle our pain. So there is sin all around us. If you just think about, uh, just think about the pain in your life, and and what are some of the destructive patterns? You know, when you find yourself full of anxiety, or you um, you find yourself depressed, or you find yourself worried about a particular thing. What what do you run to? Maybe it's eating. Maybe it's pornography. Whatever it might be. But but whatever it is, it is usually in excess. It is destructive. As we're trying to handle our pain. And we know, we know from life experience that we cannot stop the drowning waters of our addictive culture. We can't stop them from rising, but we can learn to see our reality for what it is. We can detach from them, and we can learn to breathe underwater. The New Testament calls this salvation. Alcoholics Anonymous calls this recovery. But it's going to take some work. We've got to follow the Spirit's lead. We have to follow the path. And just like we said, AA, there's more to it than sobriety, but life is available. So for the follower of Christ, for the follower of Jesus, one can experience not just forgiveness, come on, but you can get your life back. You can grow up. You can learn the rhythms of love and grace. You can be free from feeling the need to win all the time hold grudges, you can be free to forgive, you can be free to let go of offense and not be so easily offended. There's life to be had. 
In the 4th century, Emperor Constantine declared Christianity to be the official state religion of Rome. Up until that time, it was illegal to be a Christian. So if you, if you followed or professed the ways of Jesus before Constantine, you could get your head cut off. But after Constantine decided, hey, let's, let's use this, this God thing, this Christian God thing, to our advantage. And let's, let's make the whole state Christian. And let's, let's hijack it. Let's, let's put crosses on our shields and let's march into battle and kill people in the name of this Christian God. And this Christian God will supposedly give us victory. And if you're not a Christian, then you might be in jeopardy of having your head lopped off. There was a complete reversal. And it was at that moment in history that Christianity was transformed from a practice to a theory. All of a sudden, it it became about agreeing on and believing with your head particular truth claims. It was around this time that the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, these creeds were written. And uh, these creeds are foundational to the Christian faith. I love the creeds. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who was conceived by the Virgin, or conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the dead, and the life everlasting. Amen. And I do believe those things. But what happened is that believing those things came to be the way that one actually was or identified themselves as a Christian. Instead of experiencing the movements of human enlightenment and the central message that this is not about believing the right things, but this is about being transformed into the divine nature. This is about bringing about new creation on this earth. And so at that time, people began to get their thoughts right. And they began to worship Jesus instead of follow Jesus. But the thing is, he didn't invite us to worship him. Nowhere in the scripture can you find where Jesus says, repent and worship me. Jesus says, repent and follow me. Follow me. Do what I do. Think how I think. Move how I move. And what ultimately happened is Christianity began to lose its material interest, its physical, its earthly interest. And it had very little to say about how God actually wants to love the world into wholeness. So we need to grow up. We need to grow up in Christ so that we might become mature, so that we might experience more life, get more of our life back that we were created for. And we've all seen Christians, am I right? Or people, maybe I should say. Those who profess to be Christians but look nothing like Jesus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, but maybe even better, 
can we say that perhaps there have been so many times that we ourselves have professed to follow Jesus and yet we look nothing like Jesus? So how do we get to this place of growing up? We'll press in this to this more next week, but, but for the purposes of today, there's really one and only one necessary starting point, and that would be the experience of powerlessness. Because honestly, it's where it all begins. And there's this thing in our society, don't be powerless, don't be weak, don't, don't, don't show weakness, don't, don't, have, um, uh, don't show your soft spots, you know, because that's, it's not good. But have you ever noticed in the scripture that Jesus always went to where the pain was? Jesus always went to where the pain was. Jesus always went to where the weakness was. The down and out. Powerlessness is the state of the shipwrecked. And the truth is we all experience it. The problem is that we often deny it. Maybe, number one, because we don't feel free to be honest. Another reason however, is that many times maybe we're just not aware of it because it's buried deep in our subconscious. And if it's buried, then it will take a strong spirituality, a robust spirituality that reaches down to the hidden levels to find it, to unpack it, to bring it to the surface for healing. And if we don't, then nothing is really going to change. If we don't, commit, if we don't move, if we don't ebb, and if we don't flow in this, then in five years we will still handle conflict the same way we do today. And if it hasn't been to this place, then you probably still handle conflict the way today, the way you did five years ago. If you've ever wondered, if you've ever noticed these self-destructive patterns and wondered, why? Maybe it's because the hard work of identifying and being healed and growing up has not been done. Now we can't see what we aren't forced to see. We, we need something to force us to deal with it in our lives. And for some of us it's addiction, for some of us it's moral failure, maybe it's uh, falling in a way in which you just feel powerless. That's the thing about alcoholics and drug addicts is they wear their addiction on their sleeve. You can't really hide as an alcoholic or a drug addict. Not long. Not for long. But the addiction to greed or pornography or QVC. <laughs> the, the fear of not having enough money even though you're well taken care of. Or the obsession with perfection. These things are not easily seen. We can skirt around and we can hide them. We can hide them from others and we can hide them from ourselves. Or maybe it's our way of thinking. How many of us are addicted to our own way of of thinking. When was the last time? Think about this. If you want to know, am I addicted to my own way of thinking? Ask yourself this question. When was the last time you actually changed your mind on a political issue? When was the last time? Uh, or, or, or do you still hold to the same ideologies, the same political understandings and beliefs and stances that you did went from, from, the, from the politics that your parents handed down to you, or maybe the politics that you formed in university or whatever it might be. 
But as you as you move and ebb and flow with the Holy Spirit, would it not make sense or would it not register that maybe along the way we realize that even some of our, our stances and our positions politically, maybe they need to be tweaked with? That's why I, I personally, I, I can't line up. I'm not, I'm not Republican. I, I'm not Democrat. Because I, 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 when it comes to the issues, there, there is, there's not this binary black or white kind of movement for me. There, there are just, there's, there's the kingdom. There's the kingdom of Jesus, which isn't Republican or Democrat. And I've changed my mind on so many things as I try to move with the Holy Spirit to line up on what is the, what is the kingdom reality here? What is the kingdom call here or invitation? We all take our own pattern of thinking as normative, logical, and of course true. And many humans would rather, would rather die than to admit a mistake or to change it. And even from our way of thinking, we need salvation. And I would suggest, and we'll use this word over the next couple of weeks, but I would suggest that this is your ego or your false self or, or your flesh, as Paul calls it. Because your ego, your false self, wants to protect at all costs. Your ego has much to gain, much to lose, much to prove. Your ego wants to win, wants to climb the ladder. Your ego does not want to humble itself. And so for this reason, for most people, their religion has never even touched or healed their subconscious level where all of the real motivations and hurts and unforgiveness and anger and wounds and illusion are stored and they're hiding and they're fully operational. This is hard inner work. It's hard inner work. The truth is, so many Christians are just as consumer-oriented or proud or war-hungry or racist or class-conscious or unforgiving or as addicted as everyone else because it's hard work. But come on, that's, that's the invitation. Jesus says, come on, I want to give you life, but you're going to have to grow up. It's not fast food, it's not cheap grace, it's not easy-peasy. It's hard inner work. But in John 10.10, Jesus, the thief, religion, your ego will come to steal from you, kill, and destroy destroy you. Your ego wants to destroy you because, or it will destroy you, because it will do everything at all costs to keep you on top when Jesus says, no, I've come to give you life. I want you to experience it more fully. I want you to experience love. I want you to experience receiving but not just receiving, but giving mercy. Not just receiving forgiveness, but extending forgiveness. Not just uh, uh, being offended, but understanding the offense and walking into it with others and being reconciled. I want this for you. And when you tap into this, you will experience life. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dig in. We'll wrestle. We'll struggle. And by God's grace, I believe that we will grow little by little, some weeks maybe more than others. But we're going to grow up. May we grow up. Grace and peace to you. We look forward to catching up with you again on the next Mid-City Vineyard Podcast.